Well, good morning again. Glad that you are here and glad that you are part of our congregation this morning. If you don't me, I'm Pastor Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Fellowship of Grace, and it's just a pleasure to have you with us this morning. Uh, I, um, was, uh, I know that you guys probably don't look at the same things that pastors look at on the internet. We uh, read a lot of articles and things that talk about church life, and there's some really crazy arguments that go on on the internet. Uh, like, for instance, <clears throat> one of them is should a pastor stand at the door and shake people's hands as they come in and out? And, you know, some guys write down, oh, yeah, it shows that you're personable and you like people. And one says, oh, no, in this culture where people are germaphobes, you don't want to shake everybody's hand. It's terrible. So people are, you know, just talking about really unimportant things. But I was thinking this week about a pastor who stood at the church door, uh, kind of a new pastor. He was greeting the members as they left on Sunday morning. And most of the people were very generous telling the minister how much they liked his message. Except for one man who said, you know, Pastor, this is a very dull and boring sermon. A few minutes later, the same man had gotten in line again, and he uh, said, you know, I don't think you did much preparation at all for your message. And a few minutes uh, later, he was in the line again, and he said, uh, you know, Pastor, you really blew it today. You didn't have a thing to say that was of any value. Finally, the minister just couldn't stand it any longer. He went to one of the deacons, and he said, who is this guy? What's the deal with him? And the deacon said, oh, don't let that guy bother you. He's a little slow. All he really does is go around repeating what he's heard from other people. <laughs> you know, so you never know exactly what's going to happen in line out there. But uh, anyway, I hope that will, uh, if you don't get that, let somebody tell you about it at lunch. Hey, uh, we're going to start a new four-week series today on fear, uh, thoughts that paralyze. Uh, you know, folks, um, there are many times... Uh, that we have fears in our lives that really paralyze us from fulfilling everything that God wants us to do. Uh, uh, really keeps us from becoming, in a sense, everybody that, you know, that God wants us to be. And so we're going to start this sermon series. Uh, this week we're going to talk about fear of rejection. Next week we'll talk about fear of failure. The following week, uh, fear of intimacy. And then the last week we'll talk on fear of losing control. So if you have uh, people in your life that you feel like uh, kind of walk around in a lot of fear, uh, invite them. Have them come, and hopefully uh, we'll hear from God's Word uh, some things that will help them uh, to overcome uh, these fears. But today we're going to talk about specifically the fear of rejection. We don't need your services anymore. You just aren't going to work out for our organization. I don't want you. Now, I don't need you. Just get out of my life. You have to change. I don't love you anymore. You're not good enough the way you are. I'm leaving you. Would you just leave me alone? You know, I wish I'd never had you. Would you just leave me and get out of my life once and for all? These are really, really harsh words. Yet unfortunately for many of us, we've heard these words, or perhaps we've even said these words. But I think we all dread hearing them, that's for sure. And I'm not saying that you maybe shouldn't uh, certainly dislike hearing such hurtful things. Everybody experiences some form of fear of rejection. Today I want us to ask ourselves this question, how do we keep it from crippling our lives? How do we keep it from paralyzing our thoughts and actions? 
how do we make sure that we don't allow this, this fear of re- rejection really to take over our lives? Because I think it can happen pretty easily if we don't really pay attention to it. I want us to start today with this key verse because I think this passage, I think this verse uh, really has a lot of power to it. Listen to it in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is a very interesting verse. It's, it's very seldom that a verse in the Bible starts off with one negative and ends with three positives, but this one does. It said there's one thing that God has not given us in this verse. He hasn't given it to us. It's the spirit of fear. Then he says there's three things God has given us. If we want to tap in to his power, if we want to tap into his spirit, those three things are a spirit of power, spirit of love, and a spirit of self-control. Listen, when we are experiencing the kind of paralyzing fear that we're going to talk about today, it does not come from the Spirit of God, folks. And therefore, the only places it can come from are from Satan himself, from our own fleshliness, or the, law, the, the sinful world around us. But folks, power, love, and self-control come from the Spirit of God We've got to hang on to those and let fear go. Let it go. We'll we'll talk about that. But now let's just clarify a little bit, okay? Because we use this word fear in a lot of different ways in our language, okay? Let's talk about what we're not talking about. We're not talking about rational human fears, okay? Listen, if you hear on the news uh, that a lion has escaped from the zoo and he is roaming your neighborhood... It is not ungodly to be too afraid to go outside, okay? That's just, that's just a reasonable, rational fear uh, to avoid mortal danger that God has put in us. That's not what we're talking about today. We're also uh, not talking about a healthy fear of the Lord that we see quoted in the Bible. What this is talking about is a, a healthy respect for God and His authority, Uh, Kind of like the authority of parents, of good parents. He's a perfect heavenly father. Uh, Listen, I, I, I loved and respected my dad, but I also feared him. Because when I was doing something I knew that I shouldn't be doing, and he I heard his steps coming down the hallway, believe me, fear took over. All right? I I wasn't an idiot. That's not what we're talking about here. That's a a good and healthy fear of God and his authority. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is a fear that can cripple our lives. It's the fear of being rejected and not accepted by other people. That's what we're talking about. You know, we live in a world of performers and performance. And if you don't believe it, just turn on the television and watch the Olympics. I mean, the whole world is watching as people from all over the world have been training for four years. Uh, They interviewed a guy the other day. I was watching a little bit of the Olympics. They interviewed a guy, and they said, hey, what is it like to train for four years, day in and day out, 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day, knowing that your race is going to be over in 10 seconds? 
I mean, think about that. You train for four years for a 10-second race. And if he stumbles one time, it's all over. But what do we do for those who excel? We put them on platforms. We play their country's songs. We put medals around their neck. Now, I've never been in the Olympics. I'm sure it comes as quite a shock to most of you. But I grew up as a young musician, and I'll tell you, every year in high school, we had this thing called contest. See, all the musicians here going, oh, yeah, brother, preach it, okay? That, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. You were judged by one person on one performance at one moment in time, and that number stuck with you for a whole year until you went to contest next year, unless you were a senior, in which case it still sticks with you today. Now, we got medals. We got medals. I mean, I mean we were almost to the level of the cross-country runners. I don't know if they still do this. I don't know if they still do this, but when I was in high school, cross-country runners got a medal for like 52nd place. And so, so they walked around, they had all these medals in rows. It was the kind of same way with musicians. We had, we had just all these medals and stuff. It's, you know, you walk down the hallway and it kind of sounds like a junk truck, you know, coming down because they all flop and you hear all this metal rattling. But it was a big deal. And, and you wore those medals proudly. And, and I understand that, that athletes experience a similar thing, you know, as they uh, try to be the, the, like the football players, try to be the guys that are on the first team, and, and they're the starters and all that kind of stuff. I've never experienced any of that kind of thing because I was always hanging out with the cool kids in the marching band. <laughs> but, um, but listen, we were, we were forced into a system where you were valued based on your number rating. I mean, or, you know. And listen, I get the fact that when you're in first grade, you give everybody a participation medal. I get that. But listen, we, we as adults know the world doesn't work like that, does it? It's very competitive. And for me, it led really to an approval addiction. Continuing college, we had these things called juries, which I thought, what an ominous word. Could they have thought of any other word? Because you're going to go in and you know, going to be found guilty and go to prison if you don't do well. You know, we were graded every semester on our ability to play or sing. And it wasn't just to guarantee our progress, but we used those things to compare ourselves to each other and almost assign value and importance to people. Even when Fellowship of Grace started 10 years ago, we're going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary October 1st. This is the first time in my life I'd ever preached Sunday to Sunday. And for the first few months, I would ask Julie almost every week, Hey, sweetheart, what did you think of the sermon? Was it good? Did you like it? Did you think, do you think others liked it? Was my joke hilarious? Was it too funny where people couldn't focus on the sermon because the joke was too hilarious and they were thinking about that all the time? I mean, you're just constantly asking these questions. Look, look folks, we, we live in a culture that if we're not careful, will really suck us in to this approval addiction. I understand it's probably not like alcohol and drugs, but... But you can really get your mind kind of messed up looking for the approval of other people all the time. And if you're in a system like this that ranks you or rates you based on your performance on a daily basis, and I don't know where you all work and how that all, all happens for you, but most everybody here, uh, if they have a job, uh, they've got some kind of approval, ranking, rating, something, uh, a yearly, uh, you know, some kind of a, a judging of yourself. 
Let's look and we'll see what the Bible talks about this approval addiction. Look what it says in Proverbs 29, 25. It says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I was fearing what other people would think of me. Now, the worst part was, as a sophomore... I got a one on my solo, my, my vocal solo at contest. As a junior, I got a one. Now, there was incredible pressure. As a senior, I absolutely had to do it. I, I, nobody could accept a, a two. That's, you know, a grade down. That's impossible. And what this is saying, folks, is that fearing other people and what they think of us is laying like a snare. Think about a little rabbit going down the trail, and we can see uh, down here there's a, a, a string down here. There's a snare getting ready to grab him. And what is that snare going to do? It's going to snatch him up for somebody to kill and eat him. Folks, if we let ourselves get sucked into this approval addiction thinking, this fear of rejection of other people, it's like that snare. It will eat our lunch. It will eat us from the inside out. There are a couple of rejection traps and I want us to take a look at two of them very quickly. The first one is being overly starved. Overly starved for, for attention and for acceptance. Now, it's, it's kind of funny how this one works. Because we can become so overly starved for acceptance and attention that we destroy the very thing we're seeking. If you think about it. You know, we can become so needy and so hungry. You know, people want to avoid us because of our desperation. We actually become less desirable because we just crave people's attention so much. You know, some of you are going, mm, I know that guy, you know. Uh, listen, we probably all either know somebody like that or have been somebody like that. In the Old Testament, we saw a guy who had the potential to be one of the greatest kings of all time, King Saul. But his greatest weakness, I would argue, is that he was paralyzed with the fear of being rejected. This is the king. He always was wondering, what are the people going to think? Are they going to like me? And at one point, because of fear of what the people thought, he even rejected God's commands. And Samuel confronted him. This is what King Saul said in 1 Samuel 15, 24. He repented and confessed. Look what he says. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Wow. He just simply didn't have the guts to stand up for what he knew was right, even as the king. He gave in to the peer pressure of the people because he craved their acceptance so deeply. We don't see anywhere in this passage that he was afraid of revolt. We don't see anywhere in this passage that he was afraid that they would, they would rush him and kill him and have a new king. We don't see anything like that. What we saw was he was just so frightened by people liking him that he gave in to their will against the will of God. Now, I think it's interesting that we aren't born with this. You ever thought about that? Uh, you don't ever see a baby looking over to the crib next to him, wondering if they're being accepted. Should I cry a little more? Should I turn over? Should I giggle some more? You don't see any of that. But it doesn't take us long 
to realize that we're living in a world where people around us are looking at us. We soon realize that people are asking us to do things that we know are wrong, even as children. And we cave in simply because we need their acceptance. This usually gets the worst through our teen years, not always, but sometimes, most of the time. There's all this peer pressure going on around us, and, and we give in to it. We let others determine what we are going to do and who we are going to be rather than determining it for ourselves. But it doesn't stop for many people in their teenage years. They don't outgrow it. It continues on into their adult lives. We do things. We buy things. We wear things. We, we go and party with people. We have sex with people. We go places. We join things. We do all of this stuff just to make somebody happy or hope somebody likes us. I think it's interesting that as teenagers, they all dress alike so they can show their individuality. But let's not laugh too hard because every generation has done it. Isn't that funny? And it all, it's all about this peer pressure. We just give in to it. Folks, approval addicts basically have two really serious problems. The first one is they have the inability to confront people. They have the inability to confront now, this word confront has a lot of negative connotation in our culture. We hear the word confront and we think it means combative, but it doesn't need to be. Confronting can simply mean, uh, hey, hey, Joe, I know you want me to do that and, and, and you and the other guys are going to do that. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to confront you. I'm not going to do it. It can be that simple. It doesn't have to be something uh, combative or confrontational in a, in a negative way. But approval addicts generally can't confront people because they fear the rejection of those people. But if we don't learn to confront people in a, really, in a Christ-like way with the truth of the Word of God, we're always going to give in to the pressure of other people. We're just, we're just going to live in the shadow of other people our entire lives. Folks, that is not a place to live. That is not a place to live where other people are controlling and determining who you are and what you're going to be. The second problem for approval addicts is they give in, but then they get angry and resentful. They know they shouldn't give in, but they just do. But they know they shouldn't, so they get angry and resentful. And, and, and most of the time, it's misdirected anger. They're not angry at themselves for giving in. They're angry at the sources of their compromise. They're angry at other people. They're angry at situations and circumstances. And, and folks, if, if you are, are wanting and, and craving the acceptance of other people so much that you've begun to live a life of anger and resentment towards everything and everybody in your life because you just keep giving in, that's not a really healthy place to live either, folks. It's not a good place at all. Now, the second rejection trap is the opposite. It's not just overly starved people, but it's overly cautious people. These are people who have given in because they crave that attention, affection, and acceptance. But now, because they've been hurt somehow, they've put up walls to never be hurt again. You know, some of you are missing out on friendships or relationships, opportunities, because you've been hurt somehow and felt rejected, so you swing the pendulum way to the other extreme to protect yourself from ever being rejected again. 
Have you or have you ever heard anybody say, I will never trust that person ever, ever again? Some of you have been hurt in relationships. And so you say, well, you know, all men are just jerks. That's what they are. That's got some truth to it, I guess. I, I get, give you that. Okay. All, all women are gold diggers. All, all these people are this way, and these people are this way. And, and we get all stirred up, and we start building all these walls around us and, and cut ourselves off from people. Look what the Bible says about this thought process. In Proverbs 28, 14, it says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. That's that good, healthy fear. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Folks, if we harden our hearts, we are going to be creating calamity in our life. Disaster. Destruction. We're causing it. We're inviting it. We're creating it. Because we build all these walls to protect ourselves simply because we crave everybody's attention. I think it's interesting in this verse, folks, we see that by trusting God and fearing Him well, He will protect our hearts so we don't have to harden ourselves to other people. See, I can trust him to guard my heart. I don't have to be the one guarding it. I don't have to be the one trying to figure out how nobody can ever hurt me if I give it to him and let him guard it. He'll do that. By the way, he never hurts a heart like we're talking about. He never disappoints. He never damages a heart. He never hurts us in a real way like we're, look, well, we're talking about here. Now, he doesn't always do things the way we want him to, but that's different than being deeply hurt by someone. Folks, he loves us, and he cares for us, and he wants the best for us, and he has the ability to treat us perfectly. No human does, but he does, and that is exactly how he treats us. Now, some of us may have hardened our hearts to the point that we even refuse to tell our family and friends about the loving God that we know because we don't want to be rejected by them. We're so afraid, as we have maybe have mentioned Christ before and they have pushed it away, they have made fun of you or, or, or somehow uh, you know, just uh, pushed you away, and you're afraid to share the best news in the world with them because you're afraid that they will reject you. In fact, there's actually a group of people in the scriptures that felt that way. Look at them in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, meaning Jesus Christ. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from from God. The fear of man is a trap, folks. It is a trap. It is a deadly snare that will pull us in and destroy our lives. So how do we overcome it? What do we do? What do we actively do to overcome this fear of rejection? We talked about, I said before, we all experience it to some level at some times. But how do we overcome this, this paralyzing, crippling fear of rejection that messes up our lives? Well, I think there's two ways. First one is, say yes to pleasing God. And this may sound pretty simple, but it's really the key 
to overcoming the fear of rejection. In the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 22, we see a great story of Jehoshaphat. I wish I could have had a son call him that. Who was the king of Judah. And he was having a conversation with the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said, Jehoshaphat, will you go into battle with me? And we'll partner up together and we'll help take back what rightly belongs to us. And Jehoshaphat responded this way in verse 5. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. You see, when faced with a decision, we shouldn't be thinking and we shouldn't ask ourselves, what will my friends think? What will my coworkers think? What will my neighbors think? What will my parents think? What will my children think? We should be thinking, what will God think? Now, I know that we as Christians have... Uh, uh, had, we've got our own little fads sometimes, kind of our own little hula hoops and, and Rubik's Cubes. And when we see these things on people's uh, uh, cars as bumper stickers or we see them wearing them as wristbands, they become almost trite. But folks, the question, the real question, what would Jesus do, is really a pretty good question to ask. I mean, theologically, it's a pretty good question to ask. And I, like I said, I know we see it on bumper stickers and people are wearing it on the wristband and we see them doing things that aren't very Christ-like at all and it just kind of seems very trite. But in its essence, if we were to ask ourselves, how would God want us to act in this manner, in this situation? That's really not a bad thing to ask. For a lot of us, we ask that, fourth or fifth or eighth or twelfth when everything else has failed i think it'd just be a good thing to ask that first what will god think and how do i please him the most look what jesus said in matthew chapter 6 verse 33 he said but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you now full disclosure this, uh, this thing that he said uh, was in the context of how God will provide for us. And the questions to Jesus were, is God going to take care of me? Is he, if, if I follow God, is he going to give me food and clothing and take care of me? And, and Jesus was saying, look, uh, you know, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. God takes care of them. He'll take care of you. He'll give you food and clothing. But in a bigger way, and in a bigger sense, folks, what this passage is saying is, if we will seek first these two things, his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else in life will just kind of fall in place. He won't just provide our, our physical needs. He'll provide our emotional needs, our relational needs. He'll provide it all, folks. If we'll just first seek his kingdom, which is really his purpose, are we plugged into the purpose of growing God's kingdom? Are we plugged into the purpose of seeing other people come to know him and discipling them and growing them and helping them follow him in a better way? And then seeking his righteousness. Am I really seeking uh, to live the way he wants me to live? Not when it's easy, not when it's convenient, not when everybody's looking at me, but when it's inconvenient and I'm by myself, do I still seek to do what is right before God? 
have this purpose in your heart and act in a way that pleases him. Say yes to pleasing him. That's part of it. The other part is to say no to pleasing people. Now listen, listen carefully. I'm not swinging the pendulum in a wild way to the other side and saying, hey, just don't care what anybody thinks about anything. You know, I'm not, that's not it. But we should not be driven, we should not be driven by what other people think or what they say or what they think about us. I'm not saying be rude. I'm not saying don't consider people's feelings. I'm not saying don't be loving and caring. But we can't be sucked into a life of trying to please everybody else because that's the life that is the snare. That's the life that is the trap. Look what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's very clear in this passage that Paul sees these two things as absolute opposites of one another. You can please God or you can please men. But you can't please them both, and you're going to please one or the other. Because if you're not pleasing men, you're pleasing yourself, of which we are all men and women. So the reality is, folks, we're going to, we're going to serve either God or people. Paul gets it. Paul really gets it. Now, as I was living in this uh, uh, high school approval-driven uh, approval attic life. God, uh, in his infinite wisdom, humbled me in a big way as a senior in high school. Uh, our school had this uh, thing called the Arian Award, and they gave one to the uh, uh, orchestra and to the band and to the choir. And a senior in each one of those organizations would get this. This is like the top award, the award at the last concert at the end of the year. And it was the person, and, and, the, and the, the class voted for them, and it was the person who had the most leadership and the best musician, showed you know, the best of all, of everything. You know, the greatest person in the universe, or at least in the band, uh, you know, got this award. So, so the last uh, concert, uh, vocal music concert came up, and we sang the last song. And they said, before we go, we're going to give the Arian Award. And the Arian Award winner is Michael Porter. And I got this award, and, and man... You know, my chest puffed out. I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, this is, this is like the height, uh, the height of approval addiction. I was on a high, okay? So now the next week was the band concert. And uh, I was the teacher's assistant for the band. So I had access to the offices. So I'm going to just confess to you a little bit here. Uh, uh, the band did their secret ballot vote. And then all of those ballots were laying on the teacher's desk in the office, which I had access to. And yes, I know this is going to go out over the internet, but I'm going to say it anyway. I couldn't resist. I had to know if I'd won a second one. Nobody ever wins two. I had to know. So I counted the votes. Sure enough, I had won a second one. By the way, the orchestra concert was coming up next week. I could go three for three. <laughs> and so the concert came up that week. And at the very end of the concert, 
the uh, uh, head band teacher said, well, before we leave today, we're going to give the Arian Award, and the Arian Award goes to Michael Irwin, a clarinet player. <laughs> really? He came in a distant second. But now, I'm sta- I, was, I was a drummer. I'm standing in the back going, what do I do? I can't go, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know I really won because I counted the votes. Oh, wait, that wouldn't work. <laughs> And, and there was just this overwhelming humility that came over me, and it, it, it crushed me. It crushed me. But I, I realized kind of in that moment, man, I, I just don't want to live like this. I, I don't, I don't want to live from award to award seeking people's approval for stuff, asking them if I've, if I've lived up to their, their, their you know, <laughs> Whatever. I didn't want to live that way. And listen, if you miss everything else, I want you to hear this. The bottom line for everything today, folks, the bottom line is that we should live for an audience of one. Live for an audience of one. Listen, God loves us. He loves us just like we are. Oh, he wants us to grow. He wants us to get better. He wants us to move forward, but that's not a lack of acceptance. Listen, I want my kids, I want my grandkids to grow and get better and all that kind of thing, but I love them completely. God loves us. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that by faith we could accept that fact and receive his forgiveness and grace. Folks, he is the only one we should be living for. And he is the only one we should be following. We just sang that song today. I I want us to really get this, folks. I want you to be free from the fear of, of rejection that is all around us sometimes. I want you to be free of that. And the only way you can be free of that is to look to the one who will never reject you. You know, do you remember in grade school getting a hall pass? I, I, I remember that. I, I thought it was really cool because, you know, in, in like third, fourth, fifth grade, you know, when, uh, when the teacher would say, hey, I need something to go to the principal's office and somebody take that for me. And I'd go, oh, yeah, I'll take it because I want to get out of class. And so she'd give me a hall pass. And I would always keep it down here by my side. And I just, I just begged to run into another teacher. Because they go, Michael, what are you doing out of class again? Hall pass. I got a hall pass. I, I'm, I'm clear. You can't do anything to me. I got a hall pass. It's, it's you know, it's the, the deal. It tells, it, it just gets me freedom. Folks, I want us to think in our minds. We've got, we've got God's hall pass when it comes to acceptance and love. It's the thing that tells us who we are and what we should be living for. It's the thing that when people criticize us, we can say, listen, I'm not subject to your criticism or your judgment or your opinion. I'm not subject to that. No matter what you or anybody else thinks of me, he loves me and accepts me. And and listen, folks, understanding that will free us from all of this fear of rejection. It'll just free us from all of that. 
The problem is we get unfocused. Instead of worrying about our relationship with him, we get worried about our relationship with everybody else, and we get it off of him. I want to encourage you today to focus this week, focus hard on just saying yes to pleasing God and saying no to pleasing people just to please them. I think that'll free you. I think that'll free you from this fear of rejection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace, for your forgiveness, for your acceptance. God, help us. Free us from this this constant fear of feeling like we have to perform or live up to people's expectations. Fear us, uh, or, or free us from this fear of rejection. Help us to just focus on saying yes to you and no to others. Oh, oh God, help us to love others and act in a kind and loving way, being, being understanding, but not driven by what other people think. God, we want to have that kind of freedom. We want to have that spirit of power and of love and of self-control that only comes from your Holy Spirit. God, help us. And help us to always remember that that starts when we give our lives to you, when we accept what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins, and we give our lives to you. That's when your spirit comes into us. Help us remember that so that if we have done that, we rely, we rely on your spirit in us to guide us and help us. Free us from this thing, Father, and help us not to live in fear, for we know it doesn't come from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.